Well, good morning. As uh, Blake mentioned, my name is Scott Bryan. I'm the Vice President for Advancement um, at East Texas Baptist University. And one of the great privileges I have is to hang out with students. And uh, as you know, um, Blake and Brooke are wonderful. Uh, it's been a privilege for me to get to know them over the years and to um, partner with them and praying for them and their ministry. And, and uh, one thing that I know about Blake is he loves the Lord. There's no doubt of that. Uh, he loves his family, but he also he loves his church. And I know you know that. Uh, but he is, uh, we're so proud of him and, and so proud of both of them for the impact they're making, not only here in Henderson, but uh, just in their witness and in their ministry throughout the years. Um, but it has certainly been a joy to get to know them and to walk alongside them. And uh, you're lucky to have them in leadership here at your church, and I know you know that. There's a couple of connections with this church and ETBU. Um, one of our benefactors, Fred Hale, was from Henderson. Some of you might know that name. And it was my understanding that his construction company built this church years and years ago. And I was told that his hope was that it would look like a ship uh, and maybe you've heard that, but it certainly looks like that to me as you're driving away today. You might look back, uh, obviously keep your eyes on the road if you're driving, but maybe someone else can look back to see the, the ship um, that I would say is, is demonstrating uh, safety in, in rough waters. And that's one of the things that certainly the, the church does, and it, it lights the way for folks. Uh, so a neat connection there with this church. Um, I'm just so thankful to, to represent ETBU. We have more than uh, 1,800 students, and we are certainly glad to be partners with you in the gospel. Uh, we consider ourselves to be alongside you in ministry as we proclaim uh, Christ is Lord on our campus, and we continue to provide Christ-centered education. So thank you for partnering with us and uh, representing Christ in this world and being a witness for him. A lot of times when I preach and fill in, I, I'm... Uh, I'm often uh, willing to preach whatever the pastor wants me to preach. And a lot of times the pastor will be like, you just do whatever. But I, if they're in a series or something, I want to make sure that I can just slot in. And so I made the same offer to Blake. I was like, Blake, are you in a series or anything? You want me to preach on anything specific? And I'll just say, all the time that I do that, I'm kind of half hoping. They say, oh, you just preach whatever you want, right? This time Blake's like, I'm on Malachi. <laughs> Malachi. I'm like, it has been a while since I preached from Malachi. So, happy to do it, Blake. I thought he was joking at first, but he was not. Uh, but if you want to get your Bibles out, the last book in the Old Testament, and we'll be looking at the message from the prophet of Malachi. As we know, prophets are messengers from God, and sometimes the identity of the prophets are distinct and clear, as in the case of Jeremiah and Isaiah. But Malachi is really unknown to us. Uh, we don't know anything about his life. He's basically anonymous, and we're not even sure that Malachi is actually his name because the Hebrew word is translated as messenger. So it could be that it's, he's an anonymous messenger from God, and he has a message to, de to deliver to God's people. And the text also doesn't provide real specific points in history, but it does provide hints and clues as to when this prophetic message was delivered to God's people. We'll remember that Nehemiah led the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and served as an administrator in Jerusalem for over 10 years. But then he left to report back to King Artaxerxes. And eventually, Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem. And when he did, he was disappointed that God's people had fallen into sin while he was away. And it was in this period when Nehemiah was away that scholars believe that Malachi delivered this message his prophetic message to God's people. 
Years ago, many of you will remember this, cars and trucks did not have consoles to separate the driver's seat from the passenger seat in cars and trucks, right? We remember those big bench seats, okay? And this is one of the reasons we were able to squeeze so many people into cars, because they used to have a bench seat, and also for a time there that most of us can recall, many of us, there were no seat belts, right? So just squeeze in as many people as you want. No console, and you could just sit as close as you, as you wanted. Well, the story is told that there's an old farmer in his farm truck, and he's in, the pa- he's in the driver's seat, and his wife is in the passenger area, but it's on one of those long bench seats. And she says to her husband, do you remember when we were young, and we would sit really close as we drove around in your truck? And he's driving along, and he looks over at her, and he says, I haven't moved. Right? She's the one that kind of slid down the bench and eventually ended up all the way in what we would call the passenger seat today. As silly as that story is, I want you to remember that as we look at the book of Malachi. Because the farmer simply replied, I have not moved. Malachi, the message that begins in verse 2 of this book, is really the theme of this book. As the messenger says, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you. If you hear nothing else today, I hope you hear God say to you that I have loved you. One of the things we love about the prophets in the Old Testament is is we see a relationship between God and his people. And it's an ongoing, developing relationship throughout the Old Testament. And that's one reason that we can relate so closely to it, right? Because we're in an ongoing, developing relationship with God. And here is a point in time in which God is telling his people, he's reminding them that the foundation of their relationship is his love for them. I have loved you. He's communicating, the prophet here is communicating on God's behalf, saying, I have loved you. My commitment to my people has not wavered. My love for my people has not diminished or changed. Before the prophet begins his prophetic word, he's establishing the ground rules of this relationship. I have loved you, he says. God has not moved away from his people. The Old Testament image is that God is in a covenant relationship with his people. I know you've heard that. He is bound to his people. He is a faithful God, and he maintains love and relationship with his people. The Hebrew word for that covenant love is hesed. It is not a love that is a feel-good kind of love based on the emotions of the day. It is a covenant love that is unbreakable. God has professed covenant love to his people, and he is not changing. He is not going anywhere. He's like that farmer saying, I haven't moved. I have loved you, he says. I haven't moved. I haven't changed. I am right here. But my people have drifted away from me. The message from God begins with the truth of God's love for his people, but the messenger brings hard truths as well. And the truth of the matter that the messenger brings is that God's people have not taken worship seriously. And this is almost difficult to believe if we consider the situation. I know you've been going through it. After years of being exiles in a foreign land, they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. And under the leadership of Ezra first and then Nehemiah, the people of God were able to worship the Lord again in Jerusalem, and they began to rebuild the temple as well as the city walls. 
In fact, in Ezra 3, it reports that when the foundation of the temple was laid, some people wept in celebration. By returning to Jerusalem, they experienced firsthand the fulfilled promises of God. Because remember, while in exile, they heard from prophets that God would indeed rescue his people. And while it is easy for us to see it as just another twist in the tale as we look back, the promise that God would rescue his people from being exiles in a foreign land was probably hard to believe when they were, in fact, exiles living in a foreign land. And yet here they are indeed returned. God came through as he promised he would. So the messenger Malachi is delivering his message after the exiles had returned to Jerusalem. Life was back to normal, if you will, for God's people. And yet, after all God had done, including miracle after miracle for this to occur, the people of God were not taking worship seriously. You would think that after years of being displaced in a foreign land, that they would never again take for granted the ability to worship God. And yet, they did not take worship seriously. Seriously, the prophet says, you place defiled food on my altar. You bring blind animals for sacrifice. You sacrifice crippled or diseased animals. They were not obedient to the instructions God provided them on what was proper in worship. And the prophet is speaking plainly that the people of God were not giving their best in worship. Literally, they were bringing sacrifices that were not pure and undefiled. I want to make it clear, though, that the importance of worshiping God cannot be overstated. The first three commandments make it very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And recognizing that there is a creator God and we are not it is really step one in a life of reverence and obedience to God. Worship of God is indeed paramount. As the people of God meet for worship and Bible study each and every day, we are testifying to the truth of the good news. The reality is there are people in our community who think we're crazy for being so committed to Christ and his church. And they drive by on Sunday morning and they think we are wasting our time gathered together in worship. Those who do not believe, it's as if they have blinders on and they can't see or haven't seen what we know to be true about Christ and God and his love for us. And when thinking about those who do not believe, I'm not bringing them up so that we will feel superior to them, but hopefully we're filled with compassion because they do not yet believe. They do not yet know the truth, but our commitment and our faithfulness to worshiping together each and every week, it is a witness to the truth of the gospel. And it's a testimony to those who do not believe. They literally look at the cars in the parking lot and sometimes are surprised at how many people give up their time to worship God. And it's easy for us to imagine that followers of Christ in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, they're the ones who are really making an impact through their gathering together in worship. And certainly our brothers and sisters in the faith who live in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian are in fact making a bold witness for Christ when they gather together for worship. But do do not discount the bold witness you are making in your world today right here in the middle of the Bible Belt as you prioritize worship of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I personally love the image of the church as a lighthouse. Through the preaching and teaching of God's word, the church is communicating the truth and shining a bright light that points out dangers as well as the way to a safe harbor. 
And as we know that that safe harbor is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we, the the followers of Jesus, meet together regularly, we are in fact proclaiming the good news. And it is worth it to spend time together in worship. And parents, there's no greater gift that you can give to your children than prioritizing the worship of Jesus Christ. By making worship a priority for your family, you're communicating that everything else comes secondary to the worship of God. And the prophet Malachi, he makes it clear that our worship, it's not only to be a priority for us, but it needs to be pure and undefiled. It's not just about showing up and punching the time clock that you were present. Some of us remember the old Sunday school board envelopes that, check, that had check boxes on them. Did anybody remember those? Got some nods and hands in the air. It made us either feel good about ourselves or maybe kind of bad about ourselves, right? There is the one, brought your Bible. I used to check that one every time. I brought my Bible. I was good about bringing my Bible. There's one about bringing the tithe. You brought your tithe, you could check that. Sometime I could check that one off, right? There was, uh, read your Sunday school lesson. I rarely checked that one. I rarely checked that one. And then the hardest one, read Bible daily. That one always got me down because I was never checking that when I was a kid. But these, these things, and sometimes we do them, and sometimes worship happens as well, and we can just attend church and basically check the box that we made it today. But the people of God were condemned for bringing animals that were lame and defiled when they were supposed to be bringing their best to God. It's important that we do not assume that just showing up each and every week to worship is all that matters. Now, while it is important witness to be consistent and faithful in our worship, We must not just go through the motions when we attend. Go to church on Sunday because that is what we always do. God wants our best in worship. And he wants us to bring our whole selves into worship, our whole lives. And oftentimes we are happy to give God parts of our lives. And yet we can contain and control portions of our life and act as if God is not involved in those parts of who we are. But he wants us to submit not just on Sunday to the Lord, but each and every day is to be lived as an offering to the Lord. God wants our worship to be pure and undefiled, and he's not only talking about our time together on Sundays. As Paul says in Romans 12:1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is not something that we only attend once a week on Sunday, but worship is a response to what God has done in our lives. And our worship of God continues each day as we recognize that we are on mission for Christ, representing him each and every day. And we are to act and speak and work as if we are serving the Lord and as if we are representing Christ in the world. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. So when Malachi is saying bringing, you should be bringing your best in worship, that is a call for us to bring our best in honor of the Lord each and every day. It's not just our whole selves that we are to bring, but we're also to bring, to be faithful in our worship to God through the ups and downs of life. The word Emmanuel is so powerful for us, and we often talk about it at Christmas, that that God entered into the world, and, and he is God with us. And that's a beautiful picture for us to consider and hold on to it for just a moment. You'll remember in Judges, the book of Judges, it's really a, a very clear picture of what happens in the lives of many of us. 
in our relationship with God. Uh, it's, it's a cycle that's very clear in Judges. I often refer to it as the cycle of separation. And it goes like this. This is very clear from Judges 2, 16. The Lord raised up judges, yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from their ways of the ancestors who had been obedient to God's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of the enemies. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under, whom, under those who had oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. And the cycle repeated itself, didn't it? The people of God sinned, and as a result, they suffered, and usually they were defeated by a foreign nation, and while suffering, they cry out to God, and they return to Him, and God hears their cry, provides a Savior in the form of a judge to come and restore order within the people of God. And for a time, all is well. We're familiar with that cycle as well in our own lives. When things are going fine, we tend to lose our focus and lose our way and often go on our own way. And we do not ask for God's leadership and guidance. We have everything under control, at least we think we do, and we don't need any input from above. And soon enough, we find ourselves, we have moved away from God. We find ourselves living a life of sin. We find ourselves suffering the consequences for our sin. And we cry out. We make promises telling God we will never move away again. We'll never stray. And we fall on our knees at the cross of the Savior and ask to be made whole again. God doesn't want to be called on only in times of crisis. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And he wants to be walking with us each and every step of the journey, through all of the ups as well as the downs, God wants to be with us. But it's not just sin that leads into this cycle of separation that many of us have experienced and that God's people demonstrated as well. If we are not diligent, we begin to move away from God slowly without even realizing we're doing it. It's often when things in life are going well that we do not rely on God as much we take God off the throne of our lives and we sit down firmly and comfortably on the throne of our lives as if we have everything under control. In times of serious distress, such as health crisis or maybe the loss of a job, however, we cry out to God. We ask for his intervention. And when we feel like we're in need of a miracle, we spend more time on our knees in prayer. And when things are going well, we don't tend to take the time we should to ask God to lead and guide and be present in our lives. God wants our relationship with him to be a priority all of the time, not just on Sunday, but each and every day, and not just when things are going well, and not just when things are going poorly and we're on our knees in prayer. And God reminds his people through the prophet Malachi, I have loved you. And I haven't moved. I'm right here in Malachi 3.6. He says plainly, I, the Lord, do not change. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Remember our farmer, I haven't moved. So how do we return? We give God what he deserves. We give God our best. In this text, the people of God were not honoring God with their tithe either. 
We know that they were not bringing in their best animals for sacrifice, and they were not bringing in their tithes as well. Pastor Dwayne Brooks at Tallowood Baptist Church in Houston told the story of, of a woman who, uh, in preparing for Thanksgiving, she looked in her freezer, and she was glad to know she had a turkey there in her freezer. But as she pulled it out, she looked at the date, and it had actually been in her freezer for 23 years. Now, we're giggling, but some of us can relate, right? I know my mother-in-law has jello boxes that have probably been around just as long. One of the things I regularly do to harass my mother-in-law is I go and look for the expiration dates of Jell-O in her cabinet. And even if I find one that's about 20 years old, she still won't let me throw it away. It's like too prized of a possession for her. And so she, this lady finds this turkey in her freezer, and she doesn't know what to do. So there's actually a phone number on this Butterball Turkey. It's a Butterball Turkey hotline. So she calls the hotline. And this is a random and strange call for the hotline. They've never taken one about a, a turkey that's been in a freezer for 23 years. So the customer service representative puts the lady on hold. They confer. They talk to some, you know, some higher-ups. What do we do? It's a turkey for 23 years. Do we recommend she cooks it and thaws it and cooks it and serves it? And the, the Butterball people, they get back on the phone with her, and they say, okay, if your freezer has never uh, been unplugged and it has been working for 23 years, then it's probably safe to thaw out and serve and eat, but we don't recommend it. And the lady said, okay, I'll just donate it to the church. <laughs> right? And sometimes we're willing to do that, right? I've worked at many churches, and you can, you can ask Blake. Maybe y'all are, are not this way, but at the churches I worked at, people would just drop stuff off. You know, this is an old TV. You can get four, four channels on it. It's not working for me, but maybe the church could use it. Right? Or here's some, here's some old clothes. I wouldn't put my own children in it, but maybe, maybe someone you know can use them. And sometimes in the people of God were doing this very thing. They were not giving God their best. And when it comes to, to tithes and offerings, Malachi is making the point that you can't outgive God. You just can't. And, and some of them, and we know the instructions they were given to give back to the temple, the tithes would be used to care for the Levites as well as the widows and orphans in the community. And it was, certainly it was a challenge for them. And we know it's a challenge for us as well to be faithful in giving to the church. Inflation grows rapidly. Prices start rising. It's easy to back off in giving to the church, just hoping that your money will stretch far enough to make ends meet. But let me just say, we have to also trust God even in our finances and trust that God will honor our obedience as we give. One of the greatest privileges I have in working with donors uh, who support ETBU and that there's some churches and there's families, there's, there's foundations and there's individuals and, and it is indeed a privilege to, to spend time with these people, to get to know them, to hear their heart on why they give back to the school. And, and they literally, they are investing their dollars in students that they will never meet, that they do not even know, right? They are, they are giving an investment uh, in the future of people that they don't even know. And, and, and it's just such a beautiful picture. They're literally, they could invest their dollars in the stock market. They could put it in a bank. I mean, they could put it in a shoebox and just hold on to it. But instead, they are investing their dollars in students, helping them achieve their goal of a Christ-centered education at ETBU because they know that these students will then go out and do great things for the kingdom. So when you give your tithes and offerings to the church, you are investing in God's kingdom. 
You're investing in the church's ministry here locally, as well as the cooperative mission work that is done literally throughout the United States, as well as around the world. And we've all heard it said, you can't outgive God, and that is indeed the truth. God gave his best, his son, in order to be in a relationship with us. And in return, we should give God our best in worship throughout the ups and downs of life. As it says in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. Remember the opening words of this prophetic word. I have loved you. Despite their lack of pure worship, God still loves them. Despite the fact that they have taken him off the throne and put themselves on it at times, God still loves them. I still love you. I have not moved. And even when they withhold their best uh, sacrifices, their best ties, God still continues to repeat, I have loved you. I have not moved. You know the story of the prodigal son, and it's a beautiful story one that many of us can relate to. And it includes the image of the, of the elderly Jewish father running towards his son when he sees him coming back to the family, coming back to his dad. Return to me and I will return to you, God says to his people. And when we turn back to God, the, the only problem I have with that image and that story of the prodigal son is, is God in the sense, this, this fatherly figure running to meet his son. And the reason I'm a little confused by that, because I don't think God actually has to go very far at all. Because when in repentance we return to God, God is right there waiting for us. He is right there. He's only literally a prayer away as we cry out to him and return to him. He's right there waiting for us. As he says, I have not moved. Return to me and I will return to you. And it's an instantaneous relationship connection with God when we cry out and return to him. He's literally only a prayer away. And I want to conclude with the scripture we read together just a moment ago. Joel 2.13 Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is good news for us this morning. Let's pray together. God, we are indeed grateful for your grace we are grateful for your abounding and steadfast love. We are grateful that you have not moved. We are grateful that even though at times we don't bring our best in worship, we go our own way, we withhold our very best from you, you still love us. Your covenant faithfulness to, uh, covenant faithfulness to us, it's a gift, Lord, and it's a miracle. And, and at times, sadly, we take it for granted. But God, we know that you are faithful and that when we turn and return towards you, you are right there waiting for us with open arms and that you want to walk with us each and every day. You want to walk with us through the highs and the lows of life and you want to be with us as we go on this journey. So God, I pray that each one of us will return to you if we found ourselves moving away, that we will recognize that you have not moved, that you have loved us the whole time. And God, for that faithful covenant love, we just say thank you. 
And may we be a great representative of you in this community, as a church body, as as believers, Lord, individually as well, that we would demonstrate our very best in serving you each and every day, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, demonstrating your faithfulness in the way that we honor and serve others. God, let us be indeed a witness for you in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.